0: It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, human trafficking is a growing concern in Mississippi, and legislative leaders are taking notice. Learn about a new effort from House Speaker Philip Gunn. Then, the State Department of Health is working with capital city leaders to prevent sudden unexpected infant death syndrome. Find out why keeping more babies alive could be as easy as ABC. And after a conversation in StoryCorps, a new analysis looks at the uninsurance rate in rural America and how Medicaid expansion has an effect. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Human trafficking is an issue that affects tens of millions of people in the United States each year. Experts often call it modern-day slavery, and in Mississippi, many of its victims are minors. It's an issue that troubles Mississippi House Speaker Philip Gunn, who this week will host a summit addressing the issue. Speaker Gunn talks about the problem, telling us it's an issue he's still learning about.
1: Well, this is an issue that has become near and dear to my heart of late. I was not really aware of the severity of this issue right here in Mississippi. And within the last year or so, it has really come to my attention just how prevalent human trafficking is. And I think we've got to define what human trafficking is. So many of us think of it as some foreign country where they kidnap people and they take them off and you never see them again. That is certainly a part of it. But what we have happening right here in Mississippi is the unfortunate situation where relatives, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents are taking their small children and selling them for money for whatever reason that they need money for, drugs, to buy stuff. And you have small children who are being used, prostituted out for financial purposes. Is that always the
0: case? They're being prostituted? They're being... Well, they're being sold.
1: They're being sold for for sex, and you have other situations where uh, young teenagers, uh, middle teenagers, who are being influenced by uh, their boyfriend, or older teenagers, are being influenced to uh, start using drugs, and they get them hooked on drugs, and then they use them for for sexual purposes uh, in order to continue the use of drugs all of these things are forms of human trafficking and we also see that these things seem to escalate any time There is an event, a, a large collection of people that come to town for an event, like a rodeo, like a car show, things of this nature, where people with money are coming to town. It's not always poor people in back alleys who are doing this. There are people with resources who come to town, and they're here for an event, and they're looking to engage in this type of activity, and so it seems to spike. Now, I'm telling you what I have been told, what I have learned. It seems to spike during those times when we have large events come to town. So, because of these things, and, and again, I'm I'm learning as we go. This has become uh, a great concern to me. This is something I think that is a scourge on society, is a scourge on our children, and for that reason, I decided that the first meeting I would have of my public policy uh, committee would be this issue. We're bringing to town experts on the subject. We're going to have panel discussions. We're going to have speakers. And we're going to spend the day talking about this, trying to come up with solutions, trying to figure a way to stop this, curb this, prosecute this, and hopefully bring an end to it. My hope is that at the end of the conference, we come forward with some ideas that will result in legislation, something we can take up in January that we can pass and try to help stop this Scourge of human trafficking.
0: Is there legislation in place now that addresses any of this?
1: There are some. There is. There are some laws in place now, and I have begun to work with these experts in the area just to evaluate exactly where are we. I am told that we have done a pretty good job in Mississippi. That the laws we have on the books are pretty good, but that doesn't mean we want to stop. We want to continue to examine where are the weaknesses. How can they be strengthened? Is there more that we need to do and hopefully have a very solid law out there or series of laws that can be the best in the country?
0: If a child is sold or a teenager gets involved, do they normally stay in Mississippi or are they taken to another state?
1: The the child? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think both. I think both. We have heard uh, just in recent days of an episode where a a law enforcement individual stopped a car for a routine traffic stop. In that car was an 18-year-old boy with a 15-year-old girl in the car, obviously taking her somewhere for some purpose. And the law enforcement man didn't have a good feeling about it, began to investigate, inquire further, determined that she was, in fact, being transported for purposes of sexual favors. And... um, That led into an investigation, and and I'm, I'm told that they discovered 10 or 12 more girls in that particular ring that were being used. So I think it's both. From my understanding, there are people right here in Mississippi selling their children for money, and there are also people who are taking girls across state lines to other parts of the state, transporting them for sexual favors. What should the general public know? What should they be looking for? Well, that's what I hope to discuss here. Again, I'm, I'm learning as we go on this topic. It, uh, I will tell you where this came from for me. It was last year, the Republican women had a their annual meeting in Jackson, and they had a man named Jody Dice, who lives in Brandon, come and speak. He was the featured speaker of the day, and he began to tell us some of these things that I'm telling you first time I really became aware of just what we're talking about. After that meeting, I had him to my office, and I wanted to learn more, and I spent time talking with him and getting to know him, and he is the one that just kind of led me into this issue. And then over time, we have reached out, identifying national experts. And that's what we've got together on this panel on Wednesday. And so we're going to learn more on Wednesday, and it probably won't be the last time we have to come together. But we're going to spend time Wednesday talking about this issue, trying to learn as much as we can, and hopefully start the process of putting an end to it.
0: Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, thank you for coming in.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: As you heard from Speaker Gunn, he's hosted an event tomorrow called Mississippi, a roadblock to human trafficking. That event starts at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. More information is at speakerscommission.com. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. Coming up, the State Department of Health is working with capital city leaders to prevent sudden unexpected infant death syndrome. Find out why keeping more babies alive could be as easy as ABC. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi State Department of Health is designating the city of Jackson the first safe sleep city in the state. The health department is kicking off an initiative to educate Mississippians about sudden unexpected infant death syndrome. At a press gathering at City Hall, Jackson Mayor Shokwe Lamumba outlined why the issue is so important for his city to tackle.
3: The city of Jackson has one of the highest rates in the state of Mississippi for infant mortality. And the state of Mississippi has the highest rate in the nation with approximately 50 infant deaths a year that are related to sleep-related causes. And so this is a very important initiative. And many of these circumstances are preventable by way of education. And so it is necessary that the city of Jackson takes its rightful place in terms of educating our citizens so that we protect our most vulnerable and precious citizens. This is a subject that hits close to home as my wife and I have a six-month-old child. And so I stand here not only as a parent but as a, concern, uh, a concerned official for all of our citizens.
0: Jackson, Mayor Sokwe Lumumba. State Health Officer Dr. Mary Courier says Mississippi leads the nation with an infant mortality rate of more than 300 deaths annually. Jackson leads the state with more than 50 such deaths per year. Courier says some of the deaths are sleep-related and preventable. She spoke with MPB's Desiree Fraser.
2: Mississippi has the highest infant mortality rate in the country. We're always either number one or number two. And uh, sleep-related deaths in infants between a month and a year. Um, that's the highest cause of infant deaths. So um, we have about 50 a year in the state out of around 300 deaths in the state. So it's a problem that we know we can do better at and uh, we really want to see how low we can get that for the whole state. But we're starting with
4: Jackson. Why Jackson?
2: Jackson, well, it's the biggest city in the in the state. It's the capital city, uh, and we have a higher rate here than we have in other places. We've had 24 deaths in the last five years, um, so we'd like to see that go to zero. Uh, we want this to be a
4: safe sleep city for our babies. What is happening? What are you finding are the problems that lead to uh, infants' death? It's an accident, right. It
2: really is an accident. Um, Kids are sleeping with their parents. Infants are sleeping with their parents, which shouldn't happen uh, because that can cause rollover rollover deaths or suffocation or they're being put down on their front instead of on their back or they're in a smoky environment and all those things can be fixed. Uh, The ABCs, the baby needs to be alone on their back in a crib on a firm mattress so that they don't have something fluffy next to their face and they don't suffocate. Um, I know when I was younger and I had my kids, I put them on their stomachs. Um, And of course we had higher rates of these sudden deaths of infants then, um, and we're just trying to do everything we can to decrease that. We're partnering with businesses and with churches um, and with physicians in the area so that everybody who's taking care of babies knows about it, so that the sitters and the brothers and sisters and grandmothers like me
4: um, know how to better put the baby to sleep. When you talk about cribs, one thing that um, we were talking about was the expense of cribs. That's an issue for some folks. Cribs are very expensive.
2: I agree. Um, There are less expensive alternatives that are approved for infant sleep, like a pack-and-play that are just little things that you can pop up and they're safe for kids. Uh, But there's also um, an organization called Cribs for Kids that can supply them, uh, and we're helping support that organization.
4: What do you want to really get across to um, everyone about this issue? Because even though you hear um, 50 and people may say well that's not that many although any death would be too many
2: well that's that's absolutely right any death is too many and these are preventable so we really think the number should be 0 we should at least get as close to 0 as possible by making sure these kids are alone on their back in a crib in a smoke free environment, and we can reduce the risk of a sleep death
4: to nearly zero. Do you find that this is economically related?
2: Well, you know, of course, parents who don't have a crib. Um, certainly it, there would be a higher risk in uh, a family like that, absolutely. Some of it is just due to families not knowing, and we want everybody to know, not just the family. Because, you know, my grandchildren stay with their other grandmom, they stay with me, they stay with their granddads, they stay with their cousins, because, um, you know, we're, there are other family members. Um, we have babysitters. Um, we think some of it is just not knowing, so we want everybody to know.
4: And this is a part of it. What will you be doing after this to get the word out? So
2: we have a website, safesleepms.org, and we're sending information out to both the healthcare providers and to, uh, like I said, to businesses and churches so they can partner with us and they can have information to spread. We've got the resources um, to provide for them. You know, our babies are our future. I can't think of anything more important than keeping a baby from dying. This is just a really important
0: issue. State Health Officer Dr. Mary Courier with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Listen to MPB news on all your devices. Just download the MPB Public Media app or tell your smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. Coming up, new analysis looks at the uninsurance rate in rural America and how Medicaid expansion has an effect. That's after a conversation in StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Music.
1: Julie Nicolai, she's called Nikki, met her husband, Henry Castillo, in an unusual way. He lived in Panama, where he was born. She traveled there as a Peace Corps volunteer. In this conversation from the StoryCorps Mobile Tours stop in Mississippi, the two talked about their early relationship and the differences between two cultures.
5: It would have been crazy to think about all that we've been through at that point in time. We were so young. I went to Panama in my early 20s. I was 24 when I went to Panama to serve in the peace corps I was, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in his hometown, ojo de agua and um yeah I was, I was young then, and now, I'm, now I have a lot more wrinkles mm-hmm. and gray hairs
3: <laughs> why you went to um, to peace Corps
5: why mm-hmm. why did I go to Peace Corps? Well, I did peace Corps' That's simple but it's it's a hard question to answer. Why did I do Peace Corps? I wanted to give something back. We have so much here. And I didn't even realize at the time, I didn't even realize how much we have here. (laughs) Until after I did Peace Corps, and then it seems ridiculous how much we have here. And how people worry over everything. But I still, I still appreciate hot hot showers. Every time I take a hot shower, I'm so grateful (laughs) for a hot shower. (laughs) And before I went to Peace Corps, that was like my one, number one question I asked the interviewer when she was interviewing me for it. I said, "Oh well, man, the hot showers, I just don't know about that, but everything else I could take. But she was right. She told me exactly how it was. She said, in the tropical countries, you appreciate a cold shower. So We started seeing each other after started getting to know him. It wasn't very long. And I just I actually had a night where I just bawled. I was so I cried and I cried. And I was like, I just wasn't going to lose this one. I wasn't going <laughs> 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 to was getting, waiting for him to do something to mess up. He was going to go to the police. He was going to join the Panamanian police. And he was training to do that. And he was supposed to leave in November. We met in October. And he's supposed to do that in November. And so I was like, well, you know it's over when you go to the police. Like, I wasn't going to have any sort of long-distance relationship. And so he never left.
3: Well, it was because they never called me. Like, the time supposed to be, like, November. They called me, like, in March next year.
5: How do you feel about being here in Mississippi? Did I warn you enough about how Mississippi was?
3: (laughs) Yeah, you did, but anyway, I came with you. It has been nice for me. It's different, very different from where I'm from. And still, I think that it hasn't changed me, how I am. I keep being, I think, <laughs> keep being myself. And this is uh, something that I never thought I, I would be doing someday, like living in our country. I feel good.
5: You don't think it's changed you?
3: No. I Not think. at all? How? how? Well, no... I, I had to adapt to this place, and it has changed me, some some ideas.
5: Like what ideas?
3: Well, like there is a whole world outside Panama, and <laughs> with different point of view, like all the issues that exist in this country.
5: It was amazing to me in Panama how often people would mention the United States and talk about the United States, even just casually. And then to think about how how many times does someone in the United States reference Panama? (laughs) How many times have you heard someone here in in the United States say, oh, Panama is having a crazy time with that president or, you know, just anything, really? It's not even on their radar.
1: To hear more of our conversation from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi has among the highest rate of low-income adults with no health insurance in the country. That's according to a new report from the Georgetown University Center for Children and Families the report looks at the uninsurance rate of poor people in states like Mississippi that did not expand Medicaid in 2009. Georgetown's Joan Alker talks to us about the potential effects of not expanding Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Well, this is something that states can choose to
6: accept federal funds to expand Medicaid to uh, adults, low-income adults in their state or not. And so far, as you know, Mississippi has Not chosen to accept these dollars. There are 17 states in the country that have not expanded Medicaid, and Mississippi is one of them.
0: Has the amount of money changed with this decision? You mean the federal dollars? Yes, I'm sorry. Has the federal dollars changed? The amount that a state would receive?
6: So initially, a state had 100% of the cost um, paid for by the federal government. It remains a really good deal. Now it's down to 95 cents on the dollar. So the state is Uh, only paying 5% on the dollar. And in a couple of years, the state will pay 10 cents on the dollar, but never any more than that. So this is a really good deal for states.
0: If Mississippi were to expand Medicaid, would that also bring jobs into the state? Well, it would really benefit Mississippi
6: in, in a couple of ways from an
0: economic perspective. First
6: of all, you have some of the highest uninsured rates in the country Um, A third of adults in metro areas, and more than a third, 35% in rural areas, are uninsured for these low-income adults. So those families have um, medical debt. They are subject to potential bankruptcy, and so providing Medicaid expansion will enhance the economic security of those families. Another piece to keep in mind is that the federal funding coming to the state will be very important in supporting your rural hospitals, your providers in those communities. And those communities really struggle to have a robust healthcare system. So oftentimes a rural hospital might be the largest employer in an area. So. There are numerous economic benefits for the state of accepting the federal dollars.
0: Would it help poor Mississippians, since Medicaid expansion has not happened in this state, is there an alternative by being subsidized to get health insurance under the Affordable Care Act? Well, there
6: is, but the problem is that uh, for folks under the poverty line, they're just not eligible for that. They simply cannot access that coverage. So unless Mississippi makes the decision to unlock these dollars, um, they're leaving those federal funds on the table that could be coming into the state. So, um, what our research found is that for rural areas, you really there's no other way to reduce your uninsured rate dramatically except um, doing the Medicaid expansion. And so far as you know, Mississippi has not done so.
0: When I asked about jobs earlier, I, I was specifically asking if jobs would be created to administer. Medicaid programs if there was the expansion? So um, certainly
6: when a state accepts the federal Medicaid dollars, uh, there are jobs created. Some of those would be uh, primarily, those would probably be jobs in the healthcare sector. That's really where the bulk of the funds goes.
0: Since Mississippi did not expand Medicaid when it was 100% amount from the federal government, it doesn't look like The state would expand it now at 95% even. It seems to be a philosophical difference. Is there any reason to expect that Mississippi would expand Medicaid? Well, that's a great
6: question. We have 17 states that have not expanded Medicaid so far. Um, I think the, the election this fall could be pretty important. Um, We've got three states, uh, pretty conservative states, Utah, Nebraska, and Idaho, all have Medicaid on the ballot. Um, And depending on what happens in this election, I think uh, there may be legislators across the country who take a second look at this issue. So we'll just have to see what happens.
0: How many states have passed Medicaid expansion? who didn't initially, but maybe have now?
6: Um, So most states have not done this by a ballot initiative. In most states, it's been the governor or the state legislature. And initially, we had a a large group of states um, who did go right ahead and expand Medicaid. But over the past few years, we've seen kind of a handful of states, maybe about seven now uh, in the last couple of years, that have expanded Medicaid.
0: There's data to suggest that children will suffer most without Medicaid expansion. Why is that the case? So children
6: today are able to enroll in Medicaid. Um, the problem is that in a state like Mississippi, most of their parents cannot. And that's a problem for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you have one uninsured person in the family, the whole family's at risk of medical debt. Um, secondly, we know that for things like maternal depression, that Medicaid is very helpful. And that's critical for particularly young children in those early years um, when that bond with their parent and or caregiver is really important for their brain to develop. Um, so there are a lot of reasons why it's really important for kids that the whole family is covered. And today in Mississippi, uh, most of your parents, Who are poor are not covered by Medicaid.
0: Joan Alker is the executive director of the Center for Children and Families and research professor at the Georgetown University McCourt School of Public Policy. Joan, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. State leaders, including Republican Governor Phil Bryant, have long defended keeping Mississippi out of the Medicaid expansion. They say hitting costs could mount up and that even the 5 to 10 percent state match is more than Mississippi can afford. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. At 9 o'clock, Money Talks at 10. It's in legal terms. At 11, stay tuned for Relatively Speaking from Southern Remedy. And join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
2: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.